0: This is Reaganism, a podcast dedicated to exploring where the Reagan movement lives today. I'm Roger Zak, your host, director of the Ronald Reagan Institute in Washington, D.C. On this
1: episode of Reaganism, we are joined by Representative Victoria Sparts, a freshman Republican member of Congress that grew up in Ukraine until the age of 22.
0: Congressman Sparts, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, you're a leading voice, uh, a new member of Congress, uh, known uh, to those who follow education and labor policy you're on the judiciary committee but of late uh, you have become a leading voice within the u.s congress but actually just uh, on the part of all americans as we grapple with and witness what's happening with russia's war on ukraine Uh, tell us more about your background and how uh, you've become the voice out of the congress when it deals with putin's aggression and war on ukraine
1: well, thank you for having me. I, actually, when I uh, joined Congress, I was asked to be on Foreign Relations Committee, and I said, "Oh, we have too many domestic issues I have to work on, and we do because I truly believe if we are not strong domestically, it uh, allows you know the whole world and us to be weakened, you know, uh, on the foreign uh, relations area, and this really creates instability around the world. So, strength of our country." It's extremely important for uh, for the not just for our country, but for everyone else. But I never really thought that you know, you know, I would have to be dealing with what we are dealing right now. It's a very dangerous situation. And being uh, grown up in Ukraine, actually, it was Soviet Union, uh, and it was Soviet-occupied Ukraine. Understanding what it is and what this battle is about, and understanding the dynamics of Eastern Europe. You know, it gives me probably more, uh, you know, firsthand experience of understanding that I can share with my colleagues, because this is a big fight. This is something that is we haven't experienced since World War II, and this is a battle that Ukrainians have to win, not just for them, but for all of us.
0: You, of course, left Ukraine in 2000, uh, became a U.S. citizen in 2006, a business leader, uh academic uh adjunct academic um and and just a real expert in 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 domestic policy as you've outlined but you have this experience and background as you've been talking to americans talking to people in ukraine what is the one thing people don't understand about Vladimir Putin that they should understand, and what is something that perhaps we don't understand about the Ukrainian people that we need to understand, so we could be better informed uh, about our outlook on on this war.
1: Well, I think you know, uh, and you know, I go back since I'm talking to the Reagan Institute, right? So we talk about you know the policies of peace through strength and what's really. Because Soviet Union fell apart and Ronald Reagan was very smart the way how he dealt with international issues and, you know, and he, uh, showing weakness and being strong, allow us to defeat very evil power. Well, Putin is coming from that KGB Soviet Union, uh, apparatus, right? He was trained by that. And I think we need to look what we've been doing before and what we've done in 80s and 90s that were much more successful and what we're doing now and unfortunately our country had a lot of weaknesses in leadership and people like putting opportunists they understand strengths they understand when america means what we say and what we do and they understand when to challenge us and taking Advantage of a situation, so I think you know he's taking advantage of weaknesses of a current administration, and a lot of talking politics and a lot of drama. And you know, unfortunately, our country has been been observed, you know, in you know with dealing stupid things and weakening the country economically, weakening the country strategically, and really shaking up our institutions and shaking up the security of our country. And then every aggressor out there is looking how they can strike. And, you know, China does one way, Russia does one way, but we had a very failed, you know, and embarrassing withdrawal from Afghanistan. I think, you know, we had to, we should have gone there, got it out of there a while ago, but if you decide to get out, do it smartly. So it, we abandoned our NATO allies and it was embarrassment. So I think Putin understood that, this administration is not thrown, and let's just, you know, take advantage again. And I think he did another strike. I think he did underestimate the Ukrainian people. I honestly believe that was a grave mistake for him uh, to do something like that because Ukrainian people, you know, they've been freedom loving, freedom fighting people for centuries. You know, I mean, you, you saw what Stalin tried to do to suppress them killed millions, Hitler killed millions. So I think this is people, you know, it's in their blood, freedom is in their blood, and they went through a lot of sufferings, but these people will fight until they win. And I think, you know, that is going to be a big battle. So I think Russia needs to start thinking, what what do you want, where do you want to be? Because I think they're gonna fail at the country too. And I so, think that is a dangerous situation for them too.
0: Putin. It has a Soviet mindset you've shared with us. He sniffs out weakness, and we have to show strength. Putin's underestimated, as you've just outlined, the the strength and perseverance of the Ukrainian people. We are witnessing right now uh, so-called negotiations, peace talks uh, in Turkey. What do you think the Zelensky government uh, is expecting to come out of that in your mind, Is there any hope here that Vladimir Putin will truly negotiate some sort of ceasefire or is this kind of something you have to do, but what matters most is what's gonna happen on the battlefield? Give us your take on what's going on right now in Turkey.
1: Well, I think i'm not sure if you know he's still serious about negotiating i think he's trying to maybe realign his strategy and take a pause to regroup and maybe you know take a smaller <laughs> bite of the apple you know at least for the meantime and i think you know that's probably what his thoughts are but to tell you the truth uh if i would be him you know i probably wouldn't run the country and destroy my own country because he has china also on him sitting over there t- <laughs> trying to take a move on all of- that Siberia that they used to own, but it very dumb of him to doing what he's doing on top of the killing so many people and destroying millions of people's lives. But, you know, he needs to start thinking more strategically because the longer this conflict continues, it's not going to be good for his country too. And I think they're going to really start destroying Russia for him internally. And I think, you know, if he would, you know, rethink his strategy, he probably should try to figure out some consensus with Ukraine, but I just don't think he thinks that way. He has a big ego, and I think he will try to take advantage of the situation. But I think Ukrainians you know, the longer that prolongs, it's harder for them to come to an agreement, you know, and Ukrainians, you know, send kind of a clear message. They're going to be fighting, you know, and I think West, you know, has obligation to help them, you know, to be, uh, you know, deterrent for Putin to go further. And I think West will continue to support them. We probably could be more effective. And hopefully at some point, President Putin will, agree to sit down at the table and figure out how to deal with that. I just not sure if that moment is there yet, but the more pressure we put, it will get there.
0: So, uh, you, you, noted a couple of things there, the West needs to support. You've been out there talking about what the West needs to do, both from the humanitarian side and the security side specifically what the United States needs to do, showing more strength, more support. You've traveled to Poland. You've seen the front line. Please address what do we need to do in terms of supporting the humanitarian crisis that's playing out in Poland and elsewhere in Eastern Europe? And then on the security side, you have this rhetoric from President Biden, but the the resources have been a slower go, certainly before the conflict. What else can we do to support Zelensky uh, and the fight on the ground in Ukraine, humanitarian and the military side?
1: I think we need to have more accountability. You know, Congress give almost 14 billion dollars. I think we need to push for our side committee to have hearings now and said, what are you doing? Where are you spending all this money? There is an enormous amount of money from private organizations, from individuals, from governmental organizations, but operational things are not there. I mean, I've been twice in Poland. You know, I Polish people do what they can, but I haven't seen the really humanitarian organizations of large scale to pe- be present there on the ground to organize logistics ever since it's sporadic and ad hoc. It yeah. causes a lot of problems. People can be in danger from human trafficking, from child trafficking, from really bandits trying to destabilize Eastern Europe in general. So it poses a lot of risk. And I haven't seen the scaled-up process there. So I think we need to start asking questions. Where are all this money going? I mean, we give like seven billion dollars for humanitarian assistance. Where who's doing it? Who's spending that money and where's spent? We have challenges in the country, in Ukraine. You know, I think there is a different challenge, but we also don't see much, you know, movement in different organizations to have an impact over there. So I think humanitarian crisis has been escalated, but hasn't been properly addressed, and it's over months now, and we're still assessing. On the plight of defensive aid, you know, I mean, Ukrainian people will be fighting the fight, you know, and they're not asking us, you know, to come and fight for them. And really, only country can win their freedoms from ground up. You will never be able to win freedoms for any country. We should, you know, forget about these dumb ideas building nations. Only nations and people of nations can build their own nations. But we can help people that want to fight that to be able to defend democracy, be able to defend themselves, to be able to defend their peoples when they're not slaughtered and killed in in the cities with no water No, i mean this is like a genocide like a terrorism and we cannot allow one person to hold the whole world hostage so there are some things we can help them to provide some defensive aid for them to be more effective and this is the least of costs we can do and from from pragmatic standpoint they're fighting this war that it doesn't escalate further and the faster they be able to be successful the better for the whole world because it will be destabilizing not just europe it will destabilize the
0: whole world soon. No, no doubt about it. If we don't hold the line and roll back Russian aggression, then it would only invite more of the same within Europe and perhaps uh, against a NATO ally. Uh, recently, President Zelensky has called for additional support, military support in the form of tanks and aircraft. That is quite distinct from a no-fly zone, which he was advocating earlier, which you have been reported to say, hey, that's not the, the, the best course of action to take because it would invite American on Russian, Russian on American conflict, but in terms of this heavy armor tanks or aircraft like the MiG aircraft, is this something you're continuing to press for and push for uh, from your perch in the Congress and uh, your connections now uh, with the Biden administration as you advocate for support of Ukraine?
1: Well, I think, you know, I I don't want to be, you know, here like a Make an assessment of the expert of the military operations. Okay. Although I'm telling you, I need to soon learn how to shoot rockets. But I already learned a lot more about rockets than I ever really understood before. So I said, like I used to joking that I'm going to want to drink champagne on the beach when I retire. And I'm thinking maybe I need to become an arms dealer. So you know, so <laughs> but first I need to learn how to shoot all these arms, probably so I can be effective one. But, but joke aside, I think it's important really to for us to provide equipment that can be effectively utilized by Ukrainians to deter that aggression further, to be able to secure a humanitarian corridor, safe passages, and hold the ground more effectively. And our military commanders need to make that assessment, and administration needs to move on that. And they need to move faster and more effectively, because in any crisis, you have to have the right strategy, speed, and scale. And that's how the crisis is resolved the most effectively. And I think dragging their feet and they've been doing and then scramble and then trying to play and catch up. That's not a very good way to deter further escalation and further aggression. You have to first be able to show the strengths. You also need to beef up our Eastern flank to make sure that our NATO allies and Eastern Europe feel comfortable and ensure that we are not going to abandon them show it with actions, not the words, show Russia is in human business, and then, you know, force them to the table to have a serious conversation and offer a way for them to get out of the situation. And while Ukrainians are still willing to have negotiation, because the further continues this conflict, the harder it's going to be for Ukrainians after so many people are going to be died, so many cities and lives destroyed, for them to be able to agree to something. Because, I mean, this is serious i mean these people are very upset i mean they're the distor- i mean the, the the level of you know i mean this is like they're living through hell yeah. what they're living for the destruction of the people and their lives and livelihoods it's unimaginable
0: well i mean i just to personalize this we we started at the outset of this conversation about your connection and you UK- to ukraine lived there of course till 2000 and no doubt, still have family and, and friends there, including what's been reported as uh, your 95-year-old grandmother, where uh, I think the building next to where she lives was bombed. I mean, one, how is your grandmother doing? That just just personalizes it and, and takes this to another level. And two, um, you know, where, what other uh, family do you have in the area?
1: Well, I do have some, I I actually have two grandmothers and one of them in the city that been um, under attack for now almost a month and getting bombed with no electricity and no communication. So we actually don't have communication mm. with her right now. And it's, um, it's, it's a very, it's a dire situation. A lot of people, you know, and I know that, you know, my grandma, it's, it's tough. She's 95 years old, but I know that a lot of people, there was little children, you know, my mom's neighbors, you know, she was talking and they been hiding these little kids in the basements. And this is not like a, really even a basement. I mean, these people in a very difficult situation. I, um, you know, I, I talked to people, you know, I just went on the border from Mariupol that, you know, came with women, with children and they made a choice, you know, where they go going to die there or we're going to try to escape. They took a car and they're lucky that they had a car with a little bit of gas and they went through, you know, the rubbles and they were shot but were not killed car in front of them. People got killed. Oh my I goodness. mean, so you take a risk. I mean, people go to the river, try to get water. People don't have food. So, I mean, it's real. The, the situation, there, very, very... Dire, and this is we're talking not about 100 people, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people under siege and with no electricity, no water, no appropriate food, and desperately. And then, when they try to get out, they get shot, you know, like you know, in the city of Chernigov, they you know, they surrounded the city, they blow up, blow out all of them uh, bridges, so now they have a pedestrian bridge. And every time somebody tried to get through the bridge, they just kill people. They shoot people. They put a bunch of mines around the city and watching how people try to run from the city, you know, get blown up on these mines. And um, and if some they don't, they kill them. So, I mean, this is not, this is not a war. This is, I mean, this is killing and destroying, you know, people that want, they cannot suppress.
0: I mean, just massacre and, 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 war crimes. Uh, we have to wrap up only a, a, a few minutes left. Normally our guests on our show share with us their favorite quote from President Reagan. This time Congressman Sparks, I'm going to share a quote with you and would love to get your reaction and 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 how it impacts kind of your thinking or reflects your thinking vis-a-vis our discussion about Russia's brutality and and and, and war on Ukraine. Uh, President Reagan's first inaugural address, he said, there is no arsenal in the history of the world more formidable than the will and moral courage of free men and women.
1: Well, I'll tell you one thing, you know, there are a lot of challenges ukraine have but i'm telling you the bravery and courage of ukrainian people inspired me and i'm always saying you know now nah, i'm a spoiled american live here almost two decades i go to poland and you know and not even pay attention you know and, and, and you know it, it hurt my ankle and i'm like seriously i need to toughen up these people are tough but you know when i talk to these people it was really amazes me. And, you know, and my mom calls a lot of her friends and some of them, in mean, it's just a terrible situation. They hide in, they try to, you know, to, you know, it's getting bomb all the time. And I, you know, and I, she gets all crying and everything. And they're like, Oh, please do not cry. We're not crying here. We just give us guns. We're going to fight and we're going to win. And this is like women of the age, of 1670s they just give us guns we are going to win and going to fight the will the strengths of the people i think it's so inspiring it's inspiring for all of us it's inspiring for me when i go and complain all these terrible things in congress we argue about and i'm like really puts you in perspective how much we sacrificed before and how much people are still sacrifices to have freedoms and i really hope it's going to be reminded for our young children including my children i told my daughters i have two teenage daughters i said you for them it's like oh my gosh they've been in this place and they see that they're like i said like this is a lesson for you young children to see what it takes to be free we had a lot of our predecessors die for our country to be free. We had a lot of people die in World War II for the peace in, you know, in, in, in the world. You know, and we see right now again where people, young people are dying, old people are dying. It takes so much, so we have to value it, and we have to be strong, and we cannot get distracted with stupid things and really know what is important and keep our country strong because when our country is strong there is a peace around the world. And going around and meeting with a lot of ambassadors and talk to a lot of people, I really understood how important it is, how important our country, it's way more important than a lot of Americans are really realizing. So we better keep our country strong because when we are strong, everyone else will be strong too.
0: Congresswoman Sparks, inspiring and moving words. Thank you for your time. We look forward to having you back on the show. Perhaps we, we hope and pray when Ukraine is free and Russia is rolled back.
1: Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Reaganism. New episodes premiere weekly every Monday on YouTube and all podcast streaming platforms. If
0: you like this episode, be sure to let us know and share with a friend.